Good evening and uh, welcome to Dispatch Live. It's primary night in America, uh, potentially the last meaningful one of the of the cycle, but maybe not. We'll see. Uh, we've got Mike Warren on the ground in New Hampshire. We've got John McCormick on the ground in South Carolina and Steve Hayes on the ground in New York. I'm guessing New York New City. York. I think it's New weird. York City, uh, and I am uh, I am here in D.C. It's uh, haven't been on Dispatch Live in a while. Missed you guys, mostly the uh, the viewers. I talk to the three people on this call uh, pretty much every day. But uh, we've got some early results out of uh, out of New Hampshire. Uh, I've got the Decision Desk HQ pulled up on this other screen over here. They have already called it for Trump uh, over Haley. The networks, the more professional, uh, cautious uh, networks have not yet, but shows early uh, with about 20% of the vote in that uh, Donald Trump is leading Nikki Haley in the Republican primary by about 12 percentage points. Mike, is that what uh, what you expected? Is that what the Haley campaign expected coming into, into tonight? Uh, it's about what I expected. Um, the final number could be anything from the high single digits to closer to 15% um, uh, in terms of 50 percentage point difference. Um, I would say the Haley campaign has really been uh, ramping down expectations, uh, certainly from winning the New Hampshire primary, which was something Chris Sununu, the governor here, who's been supporting Haley and going around to almost every campaign stop, uh, had said at one point just a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, they got to the point right here at the end of uh, of the campaign, uh, say she she wants to do better than she did in Iowa. Nineteen um, percent is about what she got in Iowa, and uh, she, so she's going to beat that. It's she's going to be somewhere probably in the forties, um, and uh, and and so I guess she has she's going to beat her. Uh, uh, changed expectations, um, and uh, and and sort of that's where the campaign was taking us. Uh, Trump, of course, they were they were expecting to win. Um, they have a win likely here, so um, so maybe not that big of a surprise uh, result, uh, but maybe closer than than people thought. It's certainly not a blowout uh, entirely. Steve, the this expectations game that that uh, campaigns try to play. The media falls into the, the trap a lot of the time with, with these races. Um, as, as Mike was saying, the, the, the Haley uh, campaign, her, she herself, uh, Kristen Nunu, her top surrogate in the state, have spent the past week <clears throat> blanketing the state with the message that she doesn't need to win uh, outright in New Hampshire to have this be a successful night for, for the campaign. They're in it for the long haul. Their uh, campaign manager put out a long memo today basically saying this is only the beginning where um, there's other open primaries like New Hampshire where we can compete going forward. It doesn't need, mean that we need to win tonight. That is a pretty stark departure from where they were two months ago, where they were predicting uh, a New Hampshire victory. Um, does it matter that she overperformed expectations? Is that going to help the momentum leading out of tonight, uh, even if it's not an outright victory? Yeah, like I think it's a hard case for them to make that this that, that a loss is a win here, right? I mean, in part because of the expectations that they set, as Mike pointed out. I mean, th th this was coming from their campaign, from their top surrogates in the state, suggesting that uh, that that a win was coming. And, you know, you can understand why they, they made that argument at the time. I think they wanted to pressure Ron DeSantis to get out, give him a sense and his supporters a sense that he had no hope. For a long time, remember, they were pushing to get Chris Christie out, sort of clear the field so that it would be a one-on-one -on -one race between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. So there were probably strategic reasons for them to have been as bold and aggressive as they were with these predictions. The problem is, if you make those predictions for days on end, and then you suddenly start saying, look, a strong second is pretty good. We can stay for, for many contests. Reporters pick up on that. And you know, while you're, you're right to be skeptical, even a little cynical about the expectations game and to 
the, the, the role that reporters play in it because reporters help set expectations and then they claim candidates didn't do as well because candidates didn't live up to the expectations that the reporters themselves s- s- set. So some of this is, is gamesmanship. I think the, the bottom line is it's hard to imagine an electorate that's more friendly to a Nikki Haley-type candidate in today's modern Republican Party than we're seeing in New Hampshire. That was true before we got these entrance polls uh, that some of the networks have been using. But it's especially true when you look at the shape of the electorate that we appear to be seeing in New Hampshire today. Um, you know, you have uh, some some exit poll results about the about whether Donald Trump, but whether the electorate would be happy with Donald Trump or satisfied with Donald Trump as the nominee. Fifty six percent. That's a low number in a Republican primary, even in a Republican primary with independents. Uh, you look at the number of self-identified MAGA, I think, was 32 percent. That's a low number. I'm not sure there will be another state in which that number is as low as 32 percent. So you had two-thirds of the electorate saying they were not, did not consider some, themselves MAGA. 18 percent only self-identified evangelicals, a split between very conservative, somewhat conservative, and moderate voters. All of these things, a pretty even split in education level attainment. All of these things suggest that this is a very good electorate for Nikki Haley, probably better than than one she'll see elsewhere. I think they're, they're going to make the case that it's now a two-man, two-person race. Let's go to South Carolina, go to these Super Tuesday states, let voters who are not happy about having to, to choose Trump have an alternative, I think it's a hard case to make. So in while you were talking, Steve, we did get the official uh, calls. So AP, CNN, both projected Trump officially wins. Um, they also <laughs> projected Joe Biden wins on the Democratic side. Not a lot of uh, drama there. He, uh, the, the president had to, and his campaign had to mount a, a write-in campaign uh, because of a lot of finagling to put South Carolina first in the, on the Democratic side. Um, all that to say, Steve, you, you, you said that there's probably not a better state in the country for Nikki Haley than New Hampshire. John, you are in South Carolina where Nikki Haley was governor uh, for two terms. Why, why is that not a better state for Nikki Haley? Well, yeah, you know, Haley's team will point out that uh, South Carolina, anyone who hasn't voted in the Democratic primary can vote here as well. So there's a similar it's similarly open. They'll also say if you look ahead to Super Tuesday, 11 of the 16 states uh, have that same dynamic. But if you go back, look at 2016 in the exit polls. Um, I went back and pulled the numbers today. Um, 76% of South Carolina voters were Republicans. 22% were independent. That's just totally different than the electorate that showed up today in New Hampshire, much more independent. I, I know those were early exit polls, so they're not weighted yet. But I mean, some of them were saying, right, a majority were unaffiliated. Steve, Mike, is that right, that a majority were unaffiliated today? Um, and then also it was that um, here's another stat. Eighty one percent were either somewhat or very conservative, while only 17 percent were moderate or liberal. Compare that to 40 percent today. I think it was 31 percent. Again, these were early exits, so don't hold me to the precise numbers. but. Um, Nine percent were liberal and 31 percent were moderate. Those are just numbers you're not going to see in states going forward. So, you know, it's really hard to see. I haven't had this case made to me by anyone in the Haley camp. But if you're trying to really game it out, you're thinking forward. Well, what is the what is the strategic case for going forward? I mean, I don't know. Do they hope to rack up maybe 40 percent of delegate 60 to 40 in, in the delegate race? You never know what'll happen. Maybe something will happen. I don't know. Uh, no one's made that case to me. But again, when you just look at these numbers, you're trying to see, is there really a path to a majority absence some, um, you know, just uh, unforeseen events, a very unusual event. It's just, it's very hard to get there. Um, but again, her, her, her campaign, again, they say they're, they're sticking in it. Uh, they're very pushing back very hard against the media saying, you're trying to end this. The voters have barely gotten started. We had a hundred thousand in Iowa, a couple hundred thousand in New Hampshire. They're going to be 500 or 800,000 people who are going to vote in South Carolina in a month. And a month is the longest time in politics. Yes and no. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> but Donald Trump's been around for, you know, nine years. So it's just, it's, it's very hard. They say, you know, we haven't put any money on the, on the airwaves yet. Um, but again, uh, you know, $150 million for Ron DeSantis uh, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't change things for his trajectory. So, the, you know, the last poll that was out was early 
uh, in South Carolina was early January, and Trump was it was Emerson. Uh, Trump was at fifty four. Haley was around twenty five. DeSantis in the teens. Then like Christie and Vivek down in the in the single digits. So, um, yeah, I mean the campaign says they're going to stick stick it stick it out for another month. Um, you know they really want to debate. I think Trump has no incentive to do that unless you know something dramatically changes in the polls. So that's where things look right now. Uh, that leads us well into a question we just got. From the chat, uh, this is Jim Pack Jr. asking um, if Haley comes in a close second tonight and then wins a couple states on Super Tuesday, is there any way that she becomes the next in line at the convention if something happens to Trump? Mike, I know this is something that you and Drucker are working on a little bit uh, in, in New Hampshire on the ground, kind of what next steps would be for the Haley campaign. Uh, and for, for listeners, they, they turned uh, the TVs on at Nikki Haley campaign. Yeah. HQ, that's what you're hearing. But Mike, is, is, is there a path for a campaign that doesn't necessarily involve winning a majority? I, I, I like the music that's accompanying my, uh, my, my, my talking here. It's, uh, it, it's a party here. So uh, why, not, uh, why not party on Dispatch Live? Um, I, I think that that is a possibility that I, I'm, I'm, we're still working on reporting this, but I think if you take what we've heard from, say, the Haley Super PAC, what, uh, what we think is going on behind the scenes, um, there is a... Uh, look, the bottom line is the rules for these upcoming primaries are that you get delegates even if you don't win. They're proportionally uh, uh, delegated to, uh, to how, based on how many what percentage of the vote you get. So, for instance, Haley got eight delegates in Iowa, even though she came in third. Um, she will get delegates in New Hampshire tonight, uh, even though Donald Trump is projected to win. Um, the, the, the sort of winner-take-all primaries don't kick in until after Super Tuesday. So if you think that there is a if, – if, if you want to be in a position, let's just say this, in a hypothetical, let's say Trump, I don't know, um, gets convicted of a crime – um, or, you know, God forbid something happens to his health and he's uh, unable to uh, serve as uh, the, the party's nominee, uh, at the very least, she will go to the convention with delegates um, if she continues uh, to, uh, uh, to compete in these races. That changes after Super Tuesday, which is uh, March 5th. Um, and after that, most of the races after that are winner take all. Um, so uh, there's an argument to stay in. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what Haley is thinking. Of course, all of this, all, all that matters here as well is will she have the money to do that? And, um, you know, we're hearing that um, she's raised a lot of money since Ron DeSantis got out of the race, something like um, one and a half uh, million dollars. Um, her super PAC is raising some money since then. Um, if she can spin this kind of far second place uh, finish in New Hampshire into some more kind of, you know, donations from Republicans who are hopeful to have somebody other than Trump, maybe she can go the distance. Um, I, I, I tend to agree that after Super Tuesday, it, it, it's kind of hard to keep going. But again, she'll at least have some delegates. Steve, there's already obviously a ton of institutional pressure on Haley on her campaign to to end this. We we're we're seeing it on Fox News uh, throughout the day today. She was on there, and they're basically asking, "Why are you still doing this? This is Trump's wrap it up." Um, there's been a ton, a huge wave of endorsements the past couple weeks from Republicans who, let's say, did not. We're we're privately hoping that Trump would not be the nominee, but weren't expressing so publicly and uh, have since expressed publicly that they are so gr glad that he's the nominee and they're ready to support him. We just got another from John Cornyn uh, 10 minutes ago. He came out and endorsed Trump. He'd been a holdout. Uh, is that going to have any effect on Haley campaign's decision? And uh, and how quickly do you think it, the GOP will be able to coalesce uh, around this? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a good question. I mean, and and, and I know, as you said, Mike and David are, are pursuing this. I mean, the, the question will be, after losing tonight, why would Nikki Haley stay? Like, that is the sort of fundamental question. Could it be that she wants to, to accumulate delegates? Um, there, as Mike said, there's not 
a ton of reason to do that as the, as you get later in the race. Um, does she want to simply keep her spot in case Donald Trump is convicted? In case the you know the the, the party decides that he shouldn't be the nominee if he's convicted. I just don't think there are many indications that that those things are likely to become reality at this point, um, which I think makes it harder, even if she's saying today and believing today. I think, you know, when they're telling people that they intend to stick through to Super Tuesday, I, I think they believe it. I think that's the plan going into today. The question is whether sort of like Ron DeSantis after Iowa, the reality sets in and, you know, will it be harder for her to raise these dollars to continue the campaign and take on Trump. You're seeing, as you point out, Declan, these kinds of capitulations from people who have been, you know, for a long time have been privately um, critical of Donald Trump uh, and and have been critical, privately critical of Donald Trump until very, very recently, too. Um, you know, some of these people have been critical of Donald Trump publicly in some cases. Um, so you're, you're, you're seeing this shift. Republicans have just decided, elected Republicans have just decided, we're gonna, now's the time. We're going we're gonna to unite. We don't like Joe Biden. Our voters don't like Joe Biden. They believe, I mean, I think there are, you know, it's, it's probably not worth getting too in the weeds, but I think each of these people that we've seen do this has done this for different reasons. Um, you know, I think Marco Rubio is an ambitious young guy. He's certainly saddled up to Donald Trump consistently over the past few years. Maybe he wants to be a cabinet secretary. John Cornyn is one of the three people often mentioned as a potential successor to Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Endorsing Trump early probably gives him uh, a bump over somebody like John Thune, who has not yet um, endorsed Trump, if Trump is going to weigh into that race, which if he's president, he certainly would John Barrasso endorsed who, who had been privately critical of Donald Trump for a long time endorsed Donald Trump even earlier because I think he also would like to be the the, the Senate uh, majority leader. Um, you know I think there, there's a lot of that going on behind the scenes it makes it hard to, to sometimes understand the motives. Also, it is the case that the Trump campaign they have been going to these people individually and and offer, basically offering threats like if you do not. If you do not endorse when there's still a competition, it won't matter as much. So, yes, uh, Nikki Haley just is is walking on stage at at HQ, so Mike's got to go cover that, uh, and he'll hopefully be able to Good pop reporter. back on after she speaks and and join us for for a recap of that. John, before before you hop off, um, what what are you going to be looking for in in your reporting in South Carolina the next day or two before? You head back to D.C. Obviously, as you mentioned, there's about 30 days between now and and the next uh, the next round of voting. If you exclude Nevada for procedural reasons, we will. What what's the story uh, going to be there in the next in the next? The month? story is going to be one of the most challenging my editors ever put me up to. Which what is the point of the South Carolina primary? Usually, when you cover an election, you know immediately going in what the like who is going to win and if. Every piece of data we've seen so far means we know that ultimately Trump's maybe at least at the very least by single digits, he, he's going to win. So what's the point? Is the point for Nikki Haley to put her in contention for vice president? Is it to stay in, um, you know, to, to I, don't, I don't know, you know, so I, I, in the next 20, 24 to 48 hours, uh, dispatch readers will find out, will know that answer that I don't yet have in my own mind, but I'm thinking through different. I mean, I have uh, some ideas. <laughs> Yeah, you well, I just start firing ideas at John live on Dispatch Live. I mean, I would love you to talk to yeah. Nikki Haley supporters about whether they'll support Donald Trump in in the general election um, if it's a Trump Biden race. Um, if, if that's, if, I think that's a, the, a real question. Usually, it's the case that you know partisans come around to support even after a bitter primary. Partisans come around to support the, the nominee of their party. That wasn't the case uh, in 2020. We've seen suburbanites flee, Nikki Haley-style voters, flee the Republican Party in 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Should we expect more of the same? I'd love to, to hear from some of those voters. I've, on I've, only, I've only begun my man-on-the-street interviews today. I was kicked out of Chick-fil-A uh, for interviewing people entering and exiting. I only got two interviews in. 
Uh, but both Nikki Haley supporters I talked to uh, said one guy was like, nope, it's Nikki or I'm voting for Biden. And the other guy said, nope, it's Nikki. Or I'm going third party. And that's exactly. And these and these were people who are going to events. You know, uh, that's what I found in Iowa. These are people at Nikki Haley events. They were at her election night party. Of course, they're highly energized, highly politically involved people. Um, so that's why I kind of you know, spent a little bit of time uh, after after my delicious uh, Chick-fil-A sandwich, uh, interviewing uh, people outside, just trying to get their sense. And everyone who's a Nikki supporter, they, everybody kind of knows exactly. And I talked to one who said, yeah, of course, I vote for Trump. He's more for the people, a third lady I talked to. Um, I'll vote for Trump at the end of the day. But they all know exactly what they're going to do. I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, after nine years of Trump, everyone really kind of has a sense of what they're going to do. But yes, uh, that same dynamic of Iowa Nikki supporters saying, no, I won't vote for Trump. Uh, I'm picking that up so far. Uh, hopefully I get some more. More, more commentary under my belts uh, tomorrow. I mean, remember, just to pick up on that point, Declan, and, and I'm, I don't mean to take over as host, but I want to ask you this question. You know, one of the, the exit polls that really sort of jumped out at me was uh, this question about whether you would support Donald Trump if he's convicted of a felony. 50% said yes, 47% said no. Um, it, it, depending on what the actual margin is here, it appears that, that even some Trump voters must have told entrance pollsters if if the person they just voted for is convicted of a felony, they won't be voting for them. That's a that's a massive number. And while the the Republican electorate, the general electorate, won't look just like New Hampshire, that has to cause concern in in Trump world, no? It it should, and I think it does among uh, the people that are running Trump's campaign, among the the pro Trump pundit class and the and the commentariat. That's almost seen as a badge of honor. If uh, you know, we didn't want those voters anyways. If they're not with us in uh, good times and in bad, and if and if Trump is uh, indicted or or convicted of a crime, and he, we're, they're not going to vote for him, then. Good riddance, they were rhino Democrats all along. That's kind of the messaging that uh, Trump's campaign has been putting out about Nikki Haley in, in the lead up to uh, it, to New Hampshire because the state uh, allows independent or undeclared voters to vote in the Republican primary or the Democratic primary. You pick one. Um, and a lot of Haley's support is coming from those undeclared independent voters. Uh, that's... If from Trump's perspective, that's seen as a negative for Nikki Haley, that she can attract independent voters and people outside of the Republican base, growing the Republican coalition. Imagine uh, telling somebody that 10 years ago, that it's a bad thing that non-Republicans like your candidacy and, and are intrigued by what you're offering. Uh, so it's really kind of a insular, backwards way of looking at this. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge vulnerability. And it's it's something that I think the Trump campaign is going to have to do a lot of work to win back some of these people. And some of them are just not uh, not going to be able to be won back. They're they're gone. They've been gone since January 6, 2021 or even before then. So um, it's it's just kind of silly looking at uh, the way that they're viewing this these questions of they're almost okay losing, uh, it seems like, if, as long as they lose pure. So with that, with that rant, I think we're going to swap uh, John in for Andrew. Uh, John, thank you for, for joining us. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Looking spiffy. Coming back from, uh, where was it, Manassas, Virginia? Is that what you were? That's right. Yep. About in, uh, 45 minutes west of D.C. Uh, Can you... Uh, can you tell the the good people of Dispatch Live who you were seeing there? So, uh, so we had the first uh, joint campaign rally with uh, with with President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris uh, of the cycle today in Manassas. They they showed up at <clears throat> what I take to be a satellite campus of George Mason University. wasn't quite clear exactly with the building we were in, uh, to whom it belonged, or what it was for. Very pleasant space, um, but it was it was primarily uh, a a reproductive rights uh, uh, rally, which was kind of an interesting thing that that uh, after kind of spending the 2020 primary uh, sort of dancing around the question of abortion a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable talking about it, given kind of the the state 
uh, of, of how his party's base had changed on that question. Uh, Joe Biden is now, uh, after you know the midterms and a 2023 election, both of which were 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 very, very uh, kind to supporters of expanded uh, abortion access. Uh, here you have Joe Biden kind of launching uh, a big part of his his campaign saying, uh, here's my pitch. We're going to get Roe v. Wade back. We're going to pitch. We're going to essentially pass federal legislation recodifying it. Uh, and uh, and and I want you to know that I'm kind of the champion of that as opposed to the last guy who uh, who was responsible for for getting rid of that in the first place. So that was an interesting thing. Uh, Joe Biden wanted to talk about that. And uh, and uh, Kamala Harris got to talk about that. And uh, first uh, gentleman, uh, Doug Imhoff, is that you pronounce his name? Um, he talked about it. Jill Biden, uh, the, fir- the first lady, I'm sorry, the second gentleman, the first lady, Jill Biden, she got to talk about it. Joe had a harder time talking about it. And the reason for that is because uh, every 30 to 60 seconds while he was trying to speak, somebody would stand up and perhaps unfurl a banner and start shouting about the conflict in uh, between Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, and the uh, purported genocide, uh, so they said, that that Joe Biden is supporting over there. So that was kind of the most uh, interesting thing to actually come out of the event was this kind of growing uh, hostility between these uh, these protesters who, in the uh, as is the current fashion, uh, didn't kind of all stand up in a block. They they hopped up one at a time uh, to kind of cause maximum disruption throughout the throughout the evening, uh, and and the crowd. Uh, grew more and more kind of hostile and, and was more and more ready to, to launch in and shout, chant, let's go, Joe, or four more years. Um, but but uh, uh, kind of highlighting this this weird uh, uh, issue between between uh, uh, this 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 kind of one crowd that was here at this event on what's essentially a college campus, again, I believe, um, to have this this one issue that's really important to young voters, which is which is, you know, uh, abortion access uh, versus this other that has really struck a chord among kind of his most progressive. I, I shouldn't even say his most progressive voters because a lot of them uh, are saying they don't consider themselves to be his voters, but but young progressive Democrats uh, who have have kind of adopted this this cause of of a uh, the kind of the, the, the Palestinian cause uh, and and who have have a. Uh, not hesitated to to make their opinions known to to Biden about about that either. I'm sorry, I've been I've been rambling a long time about this. I'm sure uh, that is not and uh, and do dialogue. Dispatch, dispatch readers can uh, read all about it in either Dispatch Politics or on the site in the coming days uh, as well. There's a lot to to jump into there, and I want to get to to all of it as a quick update. Um, in New Hampshire, Dean Phillips is clocking in at about a quarter of the vote. Andrew, that's somebody that you profiled uh, a couple months back. Uh, New Hampshire has never been a particularly strong state for Joe Biden. I was there covering it in 2020 uh, primary, and uh, he left before before the votes actually. He headed to South Carolina, and Jill Biden stuck around and held the quite possibly the saddest campaign event that I'd ever seen. I wrote something at the time of like, Joe Biden's uh, about to drop out because his wife had an event with four people that showed up and eight reporters. Uh, and it and the four people were actually German tourists who didn't even realize where they were. It's a whole thing. Um, he's obviously in a much stronger political position now, uh, but it's not nearly as strong as uh, he probably would like it to be. So our, with this rally today, with kind of some of the new messaging that we're seeing out of the Biden campaign. There's also news that uh, there's a bit of a campaign shakeup. They're bringing back the 2020 campaign manager, Jen O'Malley Dillon, uh, to, to rejoin the campaign now. She's been at the White House, uh, I think, leading communications for them. Is this kind of like a, a reset and, and launch? And you know, now that Trump is almost assuredly going to be the Republican nominee, they're diving in headfirst and actually going to start going on offense here. Yeah, I, I, w- I want to say they're 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 very happy with with the finish they've seen they've seen in New Hampshire. And I mean to, to your point, I think he took fifth place in that in that primary in in 2020 and it was it was kind of seen as whoa, that was kind of the bottom for him. And of course yeah. that was going into the South Carolina primary, which we are now again going to be going into a primary that actually matters um, for the Democrats. But I but I think that that what they were hoping to see in New Hampshire, which again 
does not matter at all on the Democratic side this time. We'll, we'll award no delegates uh, at, the, at the DNC uh, convention. What they were hoping to see was that essentially just by by activating a certain amount of, of uh, the kind of latent DNC infrastructure there to organize this write-in campaign, that they could still kind of put Dean Phillips in his place. And, and I think it's hard to argue that they did not accomplish that. I mean, Phillips has lived in New Hampshire. He has spent a ton of money there. He was on the ballot, which Joe Biden was not. Um, and and uh, it, it's 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 it, it. You were talking about all the reasons why it's difficult for Nikki Haley to go forward from New Hampshire. It is quadruply, quintuply difficult for Dean Phillips uh, to to go forward coming out of not only the one only campaign where he the only place where he has campaigned, but the only place where he was the biggest name presented to voters who walked into the booth. So yes, what what we saw from Biden today. Uh, uh, both coming out of New Hampshire and then just at his event, he is he's running a general election campaign. He is he is proceeding according to the pretty uh, reasonable assumption, it seems uh, right now that that he's going to be running against Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the name that that drops from his lips when he when he talks about, uh, you know, the issue that he was talk- there to talk about today, abortion access. Um, he, he 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 is already presenting to his constituents the sort of binary choice argument that that we're starting to see. Uh, I have been seeing from from Donald Trump supporters on the other side. So it's very plain that both of these uh, elderly men are are uh, gearing up to to start punching directly at one another. So uh, Nikki Haley has one a couple things to say before that starts happening. Uh, while we were while we were talking, she's delivering her um, speech in in New Hampshire. Uh, haven't watched it live, obviously. I've been talking to all of you, but. The reporting that I'm seeing on this other screen here is that it's not quite a uh, a concession speech. She's very adamant that she's not going to drop out, that she's going to stick in at least through South Carolina, which, again, is, I think, four weeks away. So this is uh, is not quite wrapped up the um, as as much as the Trump campaign would like it to be and, and much of the institutional Republican Party would like it to be. Um, so this is a, a, a quote from her speech tonight in New Hampshire, which Mike is at. Um, New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states to go. The next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. So Steve, uh, with 30% of the vote in, she's currently trailing Trump by 9%. Um, is is uh, Is there any hope for for the campaign now that she's vowed to uh, to at least stick around for another month or so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just becomes real difficult. It was interesting. Uh, I was at NBC here in New York City um, doing some preview shows for uh, for the vote tonight, and um, Tom Lamas, my colleague at NBC, interviewed uh, David Pluff, Barack Obama's campaign manager was asking him about the the uh the changes in the the biden campaign and he said what he said is consistent what we what we just heard from andrew that this is the biden campaigns looking at new hampshire looking at what they saw as the like results here and said okay this is likely to be now a two-person race with <coughs> excuse me with Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden. I do think, um, you know, we saw that David Drucker posted in Slack that that Haley's has some tough words for Donald Trump uh, in her speech. Um, didn't seem to be pulling uh, pulling back at all, um, which you know I think leads people to question: What about a third party candidate? What about no labels? Um, could Nikki Haley possibly run as a no labels? Could that be part of? The game here. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm now asking the questions and answering them myself, as as you might have noticed. Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, Mike and David Drucker have both been doing some reporting on sore loser laws, which can prevent candidates who run uh, on uh, in primaries in certain states from appearing from from appearing there um, in general election races. Um, it would seem to be a rather circuitous path if she were trying to make herself presentable for, for no labels. 
but we do know that No Labels is working hard on ballot access. Had they have access in a dozen or more states, they think they can get it in three dozen plus. Um, they've been pretty clear from the beginning that they are going to run a candidate if this is a Trump-Biden race. I think we should take them seriously. Um, you know, the, the political professionals will sort of dismiss them, shrug them off. I think they're... Um, you know, there's a lot of reporting that that the no labels effort is a little disorganized right now that they don't quite know what the process is for choosing someone who the candidates might be um so there are reasons to be to be skeptical but i think given the the overwhelming sentiment in the country that the country is just better than a joe biden versus donald trump general election campaign in 2024 uh, a, a third party candidate could could be a real factor that flies directly in the face of uh what laura ingram said i was watching fox before joining here she said the people are clamoring uh for a donald trump joe biden rematch which if anything Demagogues always very... claim to speak for the people and yes. laura laura's not really in touch with the people if i can say i actually just got on the phone with the people and they're ready they can't get enough. Uh, Andrew, you in, in Dispatch Politics on Friday, uh, you guys had some reporting on no labels and some of that um, possibly disorganization uh, that, that Steve was referencing there and kind of the, the, the uh, drama surrounding the effort. Um, what What is the latest there? Uh, and, and, you know, if... They're, they're talking to a, several different candidates, but we're getting pretty close to when they need to decide on one. Uh, are, are they making any progress? Yeah. So the the thing that we were, it was a weird, weird thing on Friday because they they called a press conference a day or so after the Iowa primary that that Trump romped in. Uh, and, and because we'd all been, been watching this effort, uh, you know, kind of developing on the sidelines where they've been saying they're going to run a, a, a they, they're likely to run a candidate in the event of a Trump Biden rematch. It was like, okay, well, here we are a step closer to the Trump Biden rematch. Let's see what no labels has to say. And it turned out to be this very strange thing where they set, where they got people together to announce that they had recommended or, or asked the Department of Justice to look into uh, possible crimes that were being committed by other centrists who who didn't like no labels because they thought no labels might uh, uh, end up throwing the presidential election back to Donald Trump. Um, and it was this very strange thing where it was, it was groups like Third Way and, and organizations like the Lincoln Project and some of my old colleagues at the Bulwark uh, and and just kind of a, a connection of a collection of of public comments disparaging no labels and and private meetings where they had kind of plotted ways to discourage people from getting involved with no labels. It was this very strange kind of inside baseball thing that that one just seemed kind of farcical on its face because uh, all of the conduct that they were kind of asking the Department of Justice to look into and perhaps prosecute seemed like kind of just cut and dry, protected First Amendment political activity. Um, but two, was just kind of odd because, or maybe not kind of odd, but just kind of illustrated the 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 difficulty that they're going to have, which is that, you know, th this is the split screen of politics right now, is that you have huge quantities of Americans who are unhappy with this rematch that's shaping up, this Trump-Biden rematch. And then on the flip side of that, the enormous partisan political pressure to come home to whichever side you happen to think is the lesser of two evils and the the enormous kind of like political operative pressure to to get paranoid about any kind of uh, spanner in the works like a possible third party candidate and, and paranoid about the fact that that's going to hurt your side more than the other side. And that is a thing no labels is experiencing, whether you are kind of center left and hate the 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 Trump Biden uh, rematch, or rather, your center right and hate the Trump Biden rematch. Probably the the single belief that you share across that whole class is, man, no labels really might throw this to the guy I hate a little bit more. Um, and so, and so, you know, that's that's just a thing that they're going to have to to grapple with, and I think they're going to have to find a way to transcend if they do run this ticket. Uh, and I'm not sure that that I'm not sure that the way they're going to get there is by uh, trying to to get 
uh, Rick Wilson of the Lincoln Project uh, prosecuted for <laughs> for tweeting mean things about them. It's the mean tweets. It's the mean tweets. Everybody's everybody's so unhappy about the mean tweets all the time. If we could just get mean tweets out of politics, I think we'd all be a lot better off. The uh, that is a story that we're going to be following very closely. Uh, no labels more so than the mean tweets. Uh, just there's going to be such a demand for an alternative if it does in fact end up being a, a Trump Biden rematch odds are, uh, you know, most voters will, uh, will come home, so to speak, as, as we get closer to the general election, but a lot won't, uh, and, and probably more won't than in previous cycles. So it's going to matter, uh, a lot as we, as we go forward. Um, we're going to try and do a, full swap of Dispatch Live. Goodbye, Andrew. Goodbye, Steve. And hello, Drucker, uh, Mike Warren, and Chris Thierwald, potentially. Not Chris Thierwald. I think we're going to have to come back. Just, yeah. Um, uh, well, well, I had to drop off earlier, Declan, uh, because Nikki Haley started speaking. She kind of surprised everybody and came out uh, yes. early. So uh, it, it, it than sounds expected. like um, she's not dropping out, and she uh, took some some harsher shots at, at the front runner than we're typically accustomed to. Can you fill viewers in on uh, on what she said. Yeah, so it was um, it was sort of an escalation, I would say, of the criticisms and attacks she's been making uh, here on the trail in New Hampshire about Donald Trump. So um, the last couple of days, she's, for instance, has brought up that uh, that that when when Donald Trump went after her by name several times, saying Nikki Haley uh, didn't provide security for the Capitol um, on January 6th. Um, so she, she's brought that up before. So she brought that up again. Um, clearly, Trump was trying to refer to Nancy Pelosi, but he referred to Nikki Haley. But then she added Nikki Haley tonight in her speech added this. Um, I've long called for mental competency tests for politicians over 75. Trump claims he'd do better than me on one of those tests. If he thinks that, then he should have no problem standing on a debate stage with me. So you can see her sort of um, upping the the ante here and saying, um, you know, she's she's trying to bait him, Donald Trump, into uh, debating her uh, before South Carolina. I don't see why he's going to, but um, she's certainly trying to uh, uh, play up this. It's a two-person race, so let's the two of us um, fight against each other. A couple of other things quickly. Uh, she said, uh, today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. And then she added this, the worst-kept secret in politics is how badly Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. They know Trump is the only Republican in the country who Joe Biden can defeat. Uh, a Trump nomination is a Biden win. She says, I can defeat Joe Biden handily. Um, so, uh, and then she sort of repeated this idea that that Trump brings chaos uh, and that and as a country and as a party, Republicans want to leave chaos behind. So again, she there was nothing in her speech tonight that suggested she was getting ready to leave. Um, in fact, she's sort of uh, ramping things up. The uh, I will remind viewers that Ron DeSantis made a similarly confident speech uh, mm -hmm. right after or the night of Iowa, a, a declaring victory um, about a week ago and then ended his campaign a couple days later. So there is a chance, of course, that that something similar happens either pressure from the party or running out of money, donors, what have you. Um, that said, I mean, just from the way that you described it and and the way that uh, that I'm, I'm seeing it come through on, on the timeline right now, uh, she certainly does not sound like she's going anywhere. I think we do have Chris Steyerwalt now. Uh, there he is. And um, we also have Drucker back with his audio. Um, Drucker, you are at Trump HQ right now in, in New Hampshire. How are they processing tonight? Uh, do they see it as as a victory? Is this a big enough margin uh, given the expectations? Uh, look, uh, yeah, I'm here at uh, the Trump election headquarters in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is the southern end of New Hampshire, just above the Massachusetts border. Everybody's happy, right? It's just wind bay, and they won't. And I think they understand that Haley does not have a path to domination 
that anyone can recognize. Haley, as Mike mentioned, is looking at it in a very unusual manner. And for various reasons, um, which you might be able to find if you read the dispatch over the next few days, uh, doesn't have any idiot plan to get out. I'd also note that it was really interesting in the in really cutting way she went after Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump has not delivered his victory speech yet. And, it'll, and I, I bet you he was watching this on television. And so I am curious to see how he responds to Nikki Haley. Remember, in Iowa last week, he was very magnanimous, uh, very complimentary. And neither Haley nor uh, Ron DeSantis really had much criticism for Donald Trump. Um, Haley is trying to pick a fight with him. It's what South Carolina voters like. It's also the only chance that she has to do something we just really haven't seen in decades. And so I'm curious to see how Trump responds. I talked to a few voters here, uh, talked to some of his supporters. They're fine. They're not worried. They don't care. But Trump, as you know, cares about this. So his speech will be interesting. He may hold back tonight and then uh, deliver the hammer tomorrow or on Truth Social later this evening. Or he, uh, he might just unload tonight. But uh, one thing is for sure is there's going to be some kind of campaign going forward. Um, what it looks like, we're not sure yet. But uh, Haley isn't going anywhere, and Trump loves to fight. There's nothing he loves more than fighting, and I, so I think we're going to see some of that at least over the next couple of weeks. Definitely. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations uh, in person or virtually on the, the new show starting in, in March. Uh, dispatch viewers can also watch you on News Nation on Sunday mornings, so we're all very excited for that. Um, you wrote a piece for us uh, a couple uh, months ago at this point that we could have been watching the end of the presidential debate as a uh, as a medium. It seems very clear that Nikki Haley is trying to pick one uh, with with Trump, get him to renege on his his promise not to uh, or reluctance to to participate in the, in these debates. Uh, do you think there's any chance that, you know, is a is a nine point margin in New Hampshire close enough uh, for comfort that he feels like he needs to get on a debate stage with Nikki Haley? Well, first, let me just say that I am shook to my core by your mustache. I don't uh, I'm not I'm not I'm, I wasn't emotionally prepared uh, and no one warned me that you had grown this mustache and I'm, I'm still, frankly, I'm processing it. Uh, or or it, it may just be that I'm cold because I've been doing hits outside here at St. Anselm College. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to work through it. Um, I think the difference between what you heard Nikki Haley say tonight and what you heard Ron DeSantis say in Iowa is this. Yeah, they're always going to say, my, my joke is, the most fatal phrases in uh, politics are, the secretary enjoys the full confidence of the president. That's, that is death. You know that you will soon be shot out of a cannon. And number two is, this campaign, we're, we're taking it all the way to the end. We're, we, we will never relent. We will never drop out. Or you might even name your super PAC, never back down. Um, but what Haley did, to your point, Declan, is she went right up Donald Trump's nose. You're old. You're feeble. You're you, you, you say you can beat me in a cognitive test. You won't even debate me. Uh, that was rough stuff. And to uh, Drucker's point, Trump loves to fight. And so here's Nikki Haley that says, OK, bro, come at me. Let's let's go do this. Now, if you're Haley, I'm my last forecast, and I'm going to cheat a little bit. My last forecast here has her with the potential to have this be single digits, right? It's hovering like she's he's doing better. Trump is doing better. My benchmark for Trump was how does Trump do plus all of Ted Cruz's support from 2016? Right. So that was my benchmark for Trump, because there is the, those Ted Cruz voters, I just assumed, were all coming over into Trump Afghanistan. And so what was he doing? And I was like, well, he's out performing that by 10 points in town after town uh, again and again. But then 
on the other side, I said, how's Haley doing? Well, she was outperforming in the places that she needed to perform uh, the combined total of uh, Rubio and Bush and Kasich and all of those folks. So look, if, if the final number ends up at 12 or 13, uh, it'll get pretty thin. It'll get pretty wispy. But, you know, if it's in single digits and there's plenty of Republicans who would like to see this be a fight, even if it's a even if it's a doomed fight, I don't know. Maybe she can get him on the stage. Mike, there's been all sorts of speculation uh, throughout this campaign that what Nikki Haley is really gunning for is the vice presidency, uh, that she's going to, you know, run as much as she can, make it as far as she can, and then drop out and get in the running for, for that number two slot. This does not seem like the move of somebody who is uh, interested in that position. You were actually at an event over the weekend where she basically ruled it out for the first time after getting these questions time and time and time again. Is that dream over for her? And and what does that mean for the way that around the next month? Well, if you if you take her at her word, it was never a dream for her. So uh, I think I think at this point there is um, she she's really sort of taken herself out of the running. Um, Again, not assuming that she ever wanted to be in the running. Uh, I mean, look, the people I talked to, uh, they seem to think that, you know, she wants to, she wants to run through Super Tuesday, see how well she does. Um, and she's not, again, I, I, I do think the main difference is she's acting as if this is kind of the last race she wants to run. Um, she's not acting as if 2028 is uh is the next step for her and i think desantis uh tim scott and then and then really some of the others um who are in the obviously in the vice presidential uh uh running least stefanik like th they're all trying to have um a future in 2028 in this party um everything she's been saying and with in with increasing specificity and intensity suggests um this might be the this might be it um and so that changes the calculus for you um if you are running um you know to sort of uh set yourself up to be a player in the future um, nothing she's done in new hampshire has um has demonstrated that if you're trying to actually fight him uh fight donald trump and try to claw back claw some support uh away from him um this is this is what she's doing what you ought to do um even if it's uh ultimately a, a sort of a futile effort um i don't think she's running for vice president i don't think she is, would be chosen by donald trump to be the running mate and um i don't think she would accept it if he offered that's uh yeah that that seems to be where we are it wasn't where we were necessarily a couple uh weeks ago but you know, uh, as as the Haley campaign said in their memo today, uh, a month in politics is a very long time. So that brings us to Fair South enough. Carolina. We we talked a little bit earlier in the show uh, with McCormick down there in in South Carolina doing some reporting. Chris, I want to get your thoughts. Um, if Haley's sticking around for the next month, if she's going to make a, a run at this, what, if anything, uh Will you be be watching uh, in South Carolina? What needs to change for her campaign? They haven't really spent much money there. Is there anything that that she can do to win her former state? So DeSantis got out of this race predicated on the idea that tonight would be a blowout and the race would basically be over here. And you can't surrender uh, if everything's already if the war's already over. There's no surrendering. Um, and I think DeSantis was thinking to himself, look, this, the, the road ends tonight. Um, but over the next month, right? So we think about people like Trey Gowdy. We think about, um, you know, Ralph Norman is actually ends up being a pretty good surrogate for her in South Carolina. He's Freedom Caucus. Uh, he's hardcore. He's hardline. And he's a pretty good surrogate. I don't know what the number that she would need to do in South Carolina would be. But 
if she can do if she could replicate this outcome basically in South Carolina, if she could keep it uh, between the 40 yard lines in South Carolina, given Trump's current 30 point lead there. I don't know. I mean, the, the thing about Nikki Haley's race is it can go on for as long as she is willing to endure the reputational harm that she will suffer among the Republican electorate of 2028, right? So if you're Rick Santorum, if you're Mike Huckabee, you don't care, right? You're going to chase the front runner and you're going to get a lot of TV time. Uh, that's, that's when, of course, uh, MSNBC falls in love with uh, hard right conservatives is when they're like, Mike's, uh, Mike Huckabee, come talk to us, Rick Santorum. What's wrong with Mitt Romney? What is the matter with this guy? Um, and there's plenty of Republican donors who would fund. There are centrist to right-wing Republican donors who would happily fund the nominal cost of, and when I say nominal, I'm talking about a person who, I, it wouldn't be nominal to me, but for these donors, there's plenty of cash. The question for Nikki Haley is, as Chris Christie has demonstrated and as others have demonstrated, there's an extraordinarily high cost to criticizing Donald Trump. And it's not just from Donald Trump. So you've got the third of the party that's super Trumpy. You got a quarter of the party that's anti-Trumpy. And then you have what the pollster Whitaker calls always Republican. And they just want to win. And the longer she stays at it with Trump, the higher her negatives will go with those voters. And they will say, can't this woman just be quiet? Can't she just go away? And Nikki Haley's ability to make this a race will depend on her willingness to upset those people and try to push this into, and we talk about South Carolina. How about California? How about the Texas suburbs? How about Georgia, right? There's a bunch of these kind of New Hampshire voters that are in those states, and she could end up with a third of the delegates or 40% of the delegates if she's willing to put her face in the fan. I don't know. And that's, Mike, that's something that we touched on uh, in conversations last week, some of your reporting on, on New Hampshire. New Hampshire is not the only state that has open primary primaries or semi-open primaries. Um, and we lost Mike. So <laughs> that questions. But you're right. Uh, he agreed with you. He agreed with you so much. He just went away. <laughs> he just self-deported. It was that's how right you were. Yes. Um, well, Chris, the uh, the South Carolina, I believe, is a semi-open primary. There's obviously not as many independent voters there as as there are in uh, in New Hampshire. But is is that will Nikki Haley have to rely on those voters if she is going to? Make noise. It's 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 a party run primary on a Saturday. We used to we, it's a, a firehouse primary, and it's going to be very tough for her. And she can crank up um, Tim Scott's old congressional district, that first CD of more affluent. You know, South Carolina is a lot like the rest of the East Coast in that first district around Charleston, north of Charleston, uh, and down. Once you drive up toward Columbia, you hit the hillbilly firewall. And it's West Virginia, right? It's it is Appalachian and it is very Trumpy when you get to that line. So it'd be very hard for her. The other thing that will be different in South Carolina, of course, is Joe Biden and the Democrats are coming to town. Right. And Joe Biden had a what looks like to me a, a very good night tonight um, and with a write in campaign did very well. Um, but Joe Biden's going to be looking to send a message in South Carolina too. And South Carolina is poised to get real churned up in the next 32 days. And I'm here for it because I'll tell you one thing, it's not as cold there, uh, in February as New Hampshire and Iowa are in January. Can, can you, uh, fill viewers in on your travel experience to Des Moines, uh, <laughs> And I, no. I've, I've only heard secondhand, but uh, I heard it was a doozy. No, no, no one wants to hear the poor mouthing of media <laughs> personalities about how hard it is to get places. But I will tell you, um, our friend and colleague, Rachel Larimore, uh, stayed with me. She, she held the rope as I was trying to file um, <laughs> after two flight cancellations and abandoning hope and flying into Minneapolis, driving down the interstate. The interstate is shut down. I have to bed down for the night. And Rachel just 
with a, with the centurion's heart was like, I will stay up late and I will rise early <laughs> to edit your copy and get it to the subscribers. And it was, it was a, a, a wonderful dispatch family moment. That is, that is what we at the, uh, at the dispatch do. Um, yeah, I've, I've done that, uh, drive from Chicago to Des Moines. My, my in-laws are in Des Moines and they might be watching right now. Hello. Um, but I did that on Christmas day, two years ago in a blizzard. And I just kept driving by car after car that had pulled off the side of the road and was flagged like by uh, officials who were making sure that nobody was in the car. And I'm like, I probably shouldn't be on the road with hundreds, uh, on the side of the road, but, uh, but we made it. And when I, when I was, when I was, when I was your age, I would have said, I'm making it all the way. I'm not stopping tonight. I'm not stopping tonight. This is weak. I would, I would have just found back roads when they shut down the interstate and I would have driven on. And then I realized I was in Clear Lake, Iowa. And do you know what happened in Clear Lake, Iowa? The most famous thing that ever happened in Clear Lake, Iowa? Buddy Holly. Yep. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper died. You know why they died? Because they said, ah, this wet winter storm's not that bad. We can go ahead and travel in it. And I said, dear Lord, thank you. I will take this, I will take this as a sign that I have been brought to a halt in my travels at Clear Lake that I do not want to end up like the big bopper. And I will just, I, I will, I will take refuge in the Fairfield Inn and suites of Clear Lake. Thank you. Uh, Fairfield Inn and suites of Clear Lake. Well, we're very glad that you're still with us. Uh, we're glad that you're launching your show in, in a couple uh, of weeks. Very excited for that. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we will have you on at some point in the next uh, couple of weeks as we gear up for a Republican primary that's not ending. So Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we will be back here next week with a primary list uh, edition of Dispatch Live, which will be welcome respite uh, for, for us here on, on the team and hopefully for you as well. Chris, thank you for joining us. And have I want night. live mustache updates. If there are not live mustache updates in the next episode, I'm canceling my subscription. We, we got a note from Anthony, a, a comment uh, who said that when he was in the Marines, he grew it when uh, he was away from his wife. My wife is also out of town right now, and that may or may not be why. Oh, okay, okay. So, All right, bachelor uh, stash, bachelor stash, got it. Yes. Well, have a good night, everybody, and uh, thanks for tuning in.